Hello, this is Into the Greenwood. I'm Rosie. And I'm Kathy. And today we're looking at a tale called The Well at the World's End. It's a Frog Prince variant. You might have heard the Highlands version of this story on the podcast's Campfire Tales, but this week we're looking at the Lowlands version. Once upon a time, and a very good time it was, there lived a girl whose mother had died and whose father had married again. Her stepmother was cruel and hateful, for she was jealous of the daughter's beauty. She made her do all of the housework and never gave her a moment's rest. At last she resolved to get rid of her stepdaughter once and for all. Tack this sieve and fill it at the well of the world's end, she said, and dinna come hame unless it's foo. The girl set off with the sieve, wondering how she could ever manage to fill it. She walked and walked and could not find the well, and no one could tell her how to reach it. Finally, a little old woman approached her and told her where she could find it and what she must do to reach it. The girl followed the old woman's instructions and at long last arrived at the well of the world's end. She dipped the sieve in the icy water, but as she knew it would, it all ran out again. She tried and tried to no avail, then sat down on the ground and wept. Suddenly there came a croaking voice from beside her, and she looked up to see a great yellow puddock had hopped out of the well. "'What's the matter, my hinny?' it said. "'Oh!' cried the girl. "'My stepmother sent me all this way to fill a sieve at the well of the world's end, and I can't fill it no matter how hard I try.' "'Well,' said the puddock, "'if you give me your word to do my bidding for a hail night, I'll tell you how to fill your sieve.' Having no fear of the harmless puddock, the girl agreed, and the puddock said, Stop it we moss and dob it we clay, and then it will carry the water away. Then with a hop and a skip, the puddock disappeared into the depths of the well. The girl searched about the well for moss and stopped up the holes in the sieve, then sealed it all with clay. This time when she dipped the sieve into the well, the water remained. Sighing with relief, she turned for home. Just then the puddock popped its head up from the well and said, Mind the promise you made to me. When the girl arrived home with the sieve full of water, her stepmother was enraged but said nothing. That evening there came a tapping at the door. Oh, open the door, my hinny, my heart. Oh, open the door, my ain true love. Mind the promise that you and I made down in the meadow where we twa met. Whatever can it be, exclaimed the stepmother and the girl had to tell her about the yellow puddock and her promise to it. Well, said the stepmother, glad the girl would have to obey a slimy puddock. Let it in at once, a lass must keep her promises. So the girl opened the door, and the puddock came hopping in and sat down by the ingle side. Oh, give me my supper, my hinny, my heart, oh, give me my supper, my ain true love, mind the promise that you and I made down in the meadow where we twa met. The girl was reluctant, but fetched the puddock a saucer of milk. When it had finished it, the puddock said, Oh, put me to bed, my hinny, my heart, oh, put me to bed, my ain true love. Remember the promise that you and I made, down in the meadow where we twa met. That the girl refused to do, till her stepmother said, Alas, must keep her promises, gang to bed now, you and your puddock. So the girl went to bed and kept the frog as far away from her as she could. Then, as the sun rose the next day, the puddock said, Now chop off my heed, my hinny, my heart, now chop off my heed, my ain true love. Remember the promise that you and I made, down in the meadow where we twa met. So the girl took an axe and chopped off the puddock's head. Lo and behold, there stood before her a handsome young prince in its place. He told her that he had been cursed by an evil magician and could only be freed if a girl would do his bidding for a whole night, then chop off his head in the morning. The stepmother was most disappointed to find the young prince in place of the puddock, and even more so when he said he would marry the girl who had unspelled him. So he and the girl were married, and went off to live in a palace with his father the king. All the stepmother had as consolation was that it was all through her that her stepdaughter had married a prince. So on a scale of magical trout in a pond to 
you've been kidnapped by a seal and accused of murdering his brother. Oh. How do we feel about this tale? <laughs> hmm. I'm gonna say the magical snitching trout. <laughs> um, partly because, uh, you know, creature that lives in the water. And partly because the frog prince archetype story, pretty well known, pretty simple. Mm. Um, I feel like we were both struggling to come up with really fun, new, insightful takes. So, But I enjoyed it. It's really fun that she chops his head off instead of kissing him. Yeah, personally, my <laughs> favourite ending to this tale. <laughs> So there are a few different versions we could just quickly summarize. Mm-hmm. One is basically the same as this one, um, but it's the girl's mum and she's nice and she just sends her for water for oat cakes. Mm-hmm. And then when she gets to the well, it's empty and the frog causes the well to be refilled. And then it proceeds in the same way, but the mother character is just nicer. Um... And then the version which uh, the podcast has already done on Campfire Tales, um, that's a Highlands version, and the one that we just told is a Borgia's version. So in the Highlands version, for anyone who didn't hear that one, it's about an ailing queen who sends her daughters to the well for a drink because it will cure her of her illness, and only the third daughter agrees to marry the frog and again it's similar path with the frog coming to the door and asking for things in revert mm-hmm. in a verse which is repeated and ending with his head being chopped off i kind of wondered if the highlands version was older because the well's magical properties are actually relevant to the story mm-hmm. yes um, and with the Lowlands one it feels, especially the one with the wicked stepmother who makes her do all the chores, it feels like it's definitely starting to mix with Cinderella yeah, I was thinking that when we first did it, there's also a pretty well known association with Celtic tribes and being more matrilineal and matriarchal it maybe helps explain why it's a queen and a nice queen instead of very traditional versions of the frog prince from Germany where it's a king that forces the princess to marry the frog in a very authoritarian parent kind of way. Yeah. Um, it feels like a much warmer startup that it's a girl trying to rescue her mum because they both love each other. It's fair to say the central theme of the tale is definitely transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think before we really try to like pin down all the ways in that, like that that's working, we can just go through like the various aspects of it and what each of them mm-hmm. could mean. So we have the impossible task. The impossible task, which is a classic. <laughs> Love it. And carrying water in a sieve is also a classic example of mm-hmm. an impossible task. Yes, it is. Um and ways in which this particular um, task can be solved are stopping the holes with mud and moss, carrying another container inside the sieve, or freezing the water. So I thought that the mud and the moss was oddly charming because it's such a practical solution yeah. to a task that you think you're supposed to like solve a riddle or find a, a magical loophole, but it's like, no, we'll just block up the holes. <laughs> yeah, it's- very very simple (laughs) yeah like I think the like freezing the water that is more following the task to the letter not cheating Mm. you've just exploited a loophole Um, but the filling the holes of the sieve is just like what if I just made the sieve a ball (laughs) yeah that does feel much more like cheating than freezing the water that would require a lot more ingenuity and it would be a lot harder to then get the water home. Yeah. Um, and in fact, as a 
general side note for the whole getting the water home without spilling it? Well, at the world's end. (laughs) And we cover the journey in about a sentence. Yeah. And it's like that's another aspect to what the impossible task is. It's like Mm. go specifically to the well at the world's end. But then a convenient um, witch woman basically is just... Yeah. Is just like, it's fine, I'll just give you directions, you'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, take a left at the third hill, and there you are, at the well of the world's end. Incredible. Yeah. But um, I just wonder if maybe this tale was a lot longer, and then like the Irish variant that we found that was about six lines and incredibly condensed. Yeah. Um... I wonder if the same kind of thing has happened because if you think of like Eastern European folk tales and particularly Russian ones that have an impossible task and you have to travel for ages to get there, there are usually a few beginning obstacles on the path to get there, to have the hero or heroine growing and Mm -hmm. facing up to a few challenges. Yeah, and it's kind of becoming, if we look at the three examples of variants that we have mm-hmm. it it kind of becomes less and less grand so you start off with a queen and she sends one daughter mm-hmm. who won't marry the frog she sends a second daughter who won't marry the frog she sends a third daughter who will marry the frog and then it's magical healing properties um from the water and then we have the version that we read which is I want to get rid of you, so I'm just going to send you off to do a task that I don't think you can complete. It just Mm -hmm. happens to be the well. And then we have the version where she's going to get water so her mum can make oat cakes. She just says, well, the water from the well of the world's end makes the best oat cakes, so if you could just go and fetch that for you, for me. Yeah, which then... Either this impossible task is completed so very frequently that the mum is just used to baking (laughs) cakes with this incredible water. Yeah. Or it becomes a bit more of a joke title and what it actually means is just a well that's a little bit further away than the normal well we'd go to. And it kind of, it becomes a lot more charming and localised in a yeah. way that you people tend to adapt tales to bring them closer to home essentially it's where you end up with so many similar stories as we've mentioned before like kelpie ones you have the whole myth and then you end up everyone has a kelpie in the nearby lake or stream because yeah. everyone just internalizes it yeah and then we can look a little bit about the symbolism of wells and mm-hmm. why it's maybe a significant location for the story. Um, so you can see wells as a pathway between the surface and the depths and being like this link between the world of light and the world of darkness and the daytime, mm-hmm. the nighttime, and a kind of pathway a liminal space a boundary so it's kind of quite a natural place to just be like oh i'm going to fetch water from a well and all of a sudden there's a talking frog (laughs) it's where is where she meets the magical helper it's where that side of things start to come and cross into her life sure we're already on the boundaries of the unknown and the depths and All of that kind of thing. Um, I also saw some other suggestions about this idea of pure water, healing water, representing spiritual development. And again, I guess that that idea of on the boundaries of the material and the divine um, and the healing healing properties that exposure to the divine would have. Um, Which is interesting because I also wouldn't necessarily argue that there was a lot of spiritual development in this tale yeah but maybe in 
the ones where it's to heal the queen, that theme is continued a little bit more in the background than it is in our version of it. Yeah, it's it's just it's just that in this version, she's obedient to start with, and the way that the problem is solved is to be obedient to the frog. Like it's not she just for the entire story just does what everyone around her tells her to do mm-hmm. sometimes she resists but it's irrelevant because she does it anyway yeah it's pretty token resistant like it would be tempting to say oh she's like come to the pathway that's going to lead her into her like self transformative journey she's like but I just don't see a journey for her really mm-hmm yeah, I've read a lot of very interesting pieces that question who actually is the main character in the tale. Mm. There's a reason we call it the Frog Prince, generally, or the Yellow Puddock, or, well, this one is about the well. It doesn't even bother to try and define <laughs> who the main character is. And a lot of people have pointed out that the character that seems to undergo the most change and growth is the frog. Mm. And that's usually how you would determine who the hero or the heroine was. I did find a little, just a few like little things about um, like how sending heroes to a well is really common to collect magical washers and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and common things that the water can do is heal or grant wisdom or beauty or certain powers or somehow transform the drinker and I just thought it was fun that we have precedent for the water granting beauty considering the stepmother is jealous of her beauty Hmm. and like I don't know if it would be connected but then like I don't know maybe yeah it's a nice implication to have in the background um, yeah it's a shame that we don't clarify if you had in the text that the stepmother says go to the well so that I can drink some of it Yeah, that reading would be a lot more validated Yeah, as it is like you say it just feels that she's kind of said hmm what would take a while? What would be a good impossible task? <laughs> there's a, there's a well at the world's end, surely. Well, we'll surely. just you know, <laughs> I don't I don't care if I never see the water, if I never hear about it. <laughs> I just don't want her to come back. There's quite a few stories where it's a wicked fairy that has sent the hero to get water, mm-hmm. but once she drinks the water, it cleanses her of her evil and she's no longer wicked. And again, I just thought kind of feels reminiscent because it's the evil jealous character sending her to get the water mm-hmm. um, and we don't know what was done with the water when she gets back she just say, yeah. comes back interesting that we have a healing water, a water of transformation and then we never try giving that to the cursed frog we just don't <laughs> we just have this magical water and we pour it down the drain. Somebody yeah. else drinks it who's not relevant to the tale. Yeah. She dropped it on the way home, but nobody cares that much because there's now a talking frog. Like, all of the mentions of the Well of the World's End and the magical water, it's always transformative in some way. Mm. And here we have a story where we visit the Well of the World's End to get magic water. And the central themes of this story are transformation. (laughs) And we don't mention the water, we don't use it, we don't talk about it. It's just a convenient plot device. Yeah, it's just a useful excuse so that we can introduce the frog. I had a little bit about frogs. Apparently they represent fertility in a lot of ancient cultures. um, Mm -hmm. Greek, Roman, Egyptian. And in Egyptian mythology they represented rebirth and renewal and they often in folk tales are benevolent and helpful I guess I was wondering if because I would 
I think to our modern eyes, frogs naturally lend themselves to being a symbol of transformation because they have such a dramatic life cycle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I was just kind of like, would people know that tadpoles become frogs? Like the people who were telling these stories, would they know that? On one hand, it's quite easy to observe mm-hmm. uh, observe that sort of thing. On the other hand, they thought that mice were born from the dirt. I don't know. I think it's fair enough to say that yes, it might be. Because you already have this association of frogs and toads with magic and transformation. And I think that would either happen because you think they're coming out of nowhere, so Mm -hmm. they just pop into existence fully formed as a frog, Mm -hmm. or you've noticed that in the pond there's these small little black things for a little while, and then there's green things, Mm -hmm. but they're not present at the same time. Fair enough to infer some kind of link here. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I... I don't enjoy analysis that just says, hey, what if our ancestors were stupid (laughs) and we're super enlightened? Because I think a lot of silly things from the past that you hear about what they thought different animals did, it's usually because that animal is in some way not accessible for Mm. casual study. And But I think just interacting with the world frogs are quite accessible you can have a jar like random children were probably like i'm just gonna take this frog spawn and then they find out it becomes frogs yeah you'd have ponds nearby that children go to there's a reason you have so many tales about water spirits and trying to keep children away from falling in the water you know it's not beyond the realms of possibility that people are looking at the animals in a pond and can see the lifespan of a frog. Mm -hmm. I think we can give them the benefit of the doubt. So I found some stuff on beheading um, as a kind of form of breaking an enchantment. And it is really, really, really common. There mm-hmm. were so many stories I stopped bothering to note them down. <laughs> but we can put the um, we can put the book that I was reading in the sure. I can in see the show notes or something. Our notes that we've got some some similar ones noted. The first one, which I find quite interesting, is a story about Sir Gawain and the, the mm-hmm. Carl of Carlisle. This one's about a giant and. Sir Gwen comes up to a castle and the resident of the castle is known to kill everyone who stays the night Um, and the hunting party decide because it's raining they will stay at this castle (laughs) you are knights you risk life and limb all of the time you can't handle a bit of rain so then the carl asks Gwen to throw a spear at his head so Gwen does (laughs) but it hits the wall behind him the Carl asks Gawain to sleep in his own bedchamber, so Gawain agrees, and he finds the Carl's wife there. And the Carl says Gawain can do as he wishes with her, mm. and Gawain, quote unquote, courteously complies. Oh, <laughs> courteously. And then mm. this, like, so I, um, so I was reading the book about this, and then I quickly like switched and went to the Wikipedia summary to get a, <laughs> so. Um, this is how the Wikipedia summary put it. Uh, when their lovemaking is threatening to become rather too serious, the Carl stops it and offers Gawain his daughter instead. Oh. So then Gawain spends the night with the Carl's daughter. And then in the morning, the Carl shows Gawain the, bro- the bones of all the men that he's killed because the secret custom is that every man who visits the castle has to do everything he asks of them. Then in the 17th century version, the Carl asks Gawain to cut his head off. Mm. And then after the stroke falls, he's transformed into a normal man instead of a giant. And the enchantment is broken. So 
basically it's a very similar curse. He needs someone to be there and do everything he says and then cut his head off. I don't like the uh, women playing essentially collateral damage yeah. in that tale. That's not and very nice. And then it's uh, said at the end of it, Gawain marries the daughter. Well, I guess that's something. After he's already done something with her mum. Unclear. Don't mm. like it. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's kind of... I think the the to link our story and this story, the general gist of the um, of breaking the curse is that the Carl has to ask the guests to do things that they wouldn't do, because mm. they're like they know that he kills people, so they're not just gonna sleep with his wife because yeah. they don't want to die, and probably every man that's gone there has thought. Oh, this is how the other di- the others die, so I'm not <laughs> gonna do it. And then the similar theme in our story is it's supposed to be like there's no way he can find a young girl that will willingly obey a frog. Mm-hmm. So I much prefer the frog story. <laughs> yeah, I find the Gawain one really weird. The Gawain um, one is very weird. I had a a nicer Gawain one, which is Gawain and the Green Knight. Uh, and it begins with the Green Knight presenting himself at the court and he asks someone to fight him Gawain beheads him and the knight picks up his head and says come and visit me in a year in a day's time <laughs> uh, Gawain travels along um, when, when he has to because he's a knight finds a castle nearby uh, stays there the man of the castle goes hunting on three subsequent days and Gawain meets the lady of the castle and they kiss once the first day, twice the second day and then the third day the implication is that she she suggests more than that and he refuses and then she gives a belt and says this will ensure that you come to no harm tomorrow when... Hmm. You try and get beheaded. But the point is that he was supposed to give anything that he got to the lord of the castle when he returns from the hunting. So the mm. first day after the lady kisses him, he kisses the lord on the cheek. Okay. Same with the two days. And then on the third day, instead of giving away the belt or the girdle, he kisses the lord three times. The next day, it's the Lord, actually, that was the Green Knight. He swings three times. The first two times, he misses Gwyn completely, on purpose. And then the third time, he nicks the neck instead of fully beheading him. Because he says, well, you were mostly honourable. <laughs> mostly up front. Um, and you didn't sleep with my wife. So, you can go now. <laughs> and I think I kind of prefer that interpretation yeah. to sleep with my wife and daughter yeah so then there was now the book said um a gallic story and it's just impossible to tell written down whether it means gallic or gaelic yeah but given that it's not said irish it maybe means gallic being scottish Mm -hmm. so and this one is just a good horse asks the hero to chop off its head and when the hero does so, the true shape of the horse, which is a young woman, is revealed. Of course. And then there's a Swedish story where, again, horse asks hero to strike off its head. And it turns out to be a handsome prince and the brother of the heroine. And then there's a Lettish epic, which involves a werewolf being cured by being mm. beheaded. Um, and then at this point there was just so many examples that's when I was like okay there's just loads (laughs) it's generally thought that the way people viewed these kinds of transformative curses is linked to stories like stories about selkies where they take off a skin Mm. and like that's just sort of how people viewed shape-shifting is the real person is within Mm -hmm. so the beheading is supposed to be like killing the false enchanted form to release the human within and 
you can look at other stories which seem to suggest that the beheading itself isn't that important, it's just the killing. Um, like in the Grimm's version of the Frog Prince, she dashes the frog against the wall and that mm-hmm. triggers the transformation. Um, so like the general point of it is that killing the magical body allows the rebirth of the real body mm-hmm. and beheading is just a neat way to do it. But I can also see how beheading is kind of just a more pleasing image for that sort of thing. Because if you sort of stab them in the heart, mm-hmm. you can kind of imagine how you could have killed both of them. Yes. And you can kind of imagine the beheading, you've like <laughs> taken the lid off the container. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Often the physical change is accompanied by personality change. So... It's just a fool, like, the giant is beheaded and suddenly he's a gentle human man. Mm-hmm. It's just a fool, complete change, and revealing their true self. And there's also a few stories about giants that could not be cured through beheading because they have no soul, so they just have to be just destroyed and killed. Ooh, that's interesting. What's kind of interesting to me, and I don't... Like, I don't know how I feel about it, is that almost, like, just so often, if it's a woman that's been transformed, Mm -hmm. she is, in her nature, not human, and she controls her transformation by removing a skin that a man can then steal to imprison her and marry her. If it's a man that's been transformed, he's a human who has fallen victim to a curse and a woman needs to save him from the curse Mm. and that's not always always the case but it's the most common separation of the two different kinds of transformation and it's uh, a bit mean don't like it (laughs) (laughs) I think the problem is that in both of them it feels like it takes away the female character's choice. Yeah. Like, if she's the one being transformed, her transformation is being stopped because her skin is being stolen um, and she's not allowed to get back to her true self. Yeah. Uh, and if it's a man, then the woman has to do something that she maybe doesn't want to do uh, and has a promise extracted under some kind of duress. And has to follow through with it, even if she doesn't want to. Yeah. Which has a lot of unsavoury undertones. Yeah, it just leaves a really bad taste in the mouth. Gwen is really going to be a key personage in this episode of the podcast that I hadn't expected. (laughs) But so, the uh, wife of Bath's Tale, Chaucer, um, is about Gwen... Sometimes he has raped a woman, essentially, and then has to go out on a quest to find out what it is that women really want, to not be beheaded. Sometimes him and King Arthur are just asked what women really want, and they don't have an answer, so they go around and ask women. And he meets a hag, or a troll, and she says, well, I'll tell you the answer, but you have to marry me. Hmm. So Gwen marries her and she says, what women want is sovereignty over themselves. Um, and then, so he marries her and they have the, it goes to their wedding night and she says, oh, what's up, Gwen? You look a bit down. And he essentially says, I just wish you were pretty. I'll go to, I'll, I'll sleep with you. I'll do my husbandly duty. I just wish that you were nice to look at. <laughs> And she says, okay, well, you have a choice. I will be nice to look at and unfaithful, or I will stay as I am as an ugly hag, but I will be faithful to you. And he says, do you know what? You make the choice. Women want sovereignty. (laughs) Progressive king. (laughs) And for being such a stand-up guy, she chooses to be beautiful and faithful and then they go to bed together isn't that so nice 
I definitely um, like that story. It was interesting to me to have kind of building off the themes of what happens when women transform and when men transform. Yeah. And there's again these these undertones of when the marriage gets consummated and in yeah. what forms and like less so in our version but in versions where the well no actually it's still in our version let me rewind about like when the implied marriage gets consummated so the frog sleeps in the girl's bed yeah while he's still a frog yeah that is not a choice that Gwen has to deal with the transformation happens before yeah and you know you don't have to read it like i think it's fair to say you could just have a frog sleep in the bed that yeah. would be fine and normal but the fact that you don't get it flipped around the other way and that in a lot of versions the frog asks to marry her not just that she does the bidding for a whole night yeah again we just get some pretty uncomfortable undertones yeah and i'm not i I don't like and i'm not comfortable with the way like if we're seeing if we're trying to see this tale as them growing as characters and finding self-actualization mm-hmm. and all of that mm-hmm. i'm not comfortable with how the path to that seems to be that that he plays um a husband that just tells her what to do and gives out orders and she plays a submissive wife wife and then um they go to bed together and then like true selves revealed happily ever after yeah it's just not very convincing or healthy or yeah 21st century i just find the fact that she clearly doesn't really want to do yeah anything that he asks of her except kill him except (laughs) kill him that's the only time that she has no reluctance which by itself a little bit concerning we've got no (laughs) evidence beforehand that she is ready to choose violence i mean and then after this whole thing what she's so she's so stressed she's so traumatized by a frog sleeping in her bed traumatized by a little slimy thing you know fair enough i mean it depends how much we're reading into the symbolism of him insisting on coming to bed with her and her not wanting him to do it and her being made to do it which i don't want to do but it depends how far we want to read into that that's the thing (laughs) fair enough chop his head off yeah i've read um some more Freudian analysis of this tale um, the general frog prince archetype that says that it's about uh, growing to sexual maturity and how uh, especially at the in the beginning in puberty there can be some some disre- disgust some reluctance some fear um, and that the point of this tale is to encourage children that even if maturation and sexual intimacy is scary at first it will eventually be fine and you'll Mm. enjoy it and it's a good thing um i just think that there are incredibly better and more nuanced ways to talk about that rather than just having her not wanting the frog anywhere near her And then never having a moment where she's allowed to have that realisation, verbalise it, share it with the audience, and then choose to get married. Mm -hmm. That just all happens to her. And we have no idea of her emotional state. Like, Like you say, it's not an analysis I really want to get into. It makes me uncomfortable. I don't think it particularly works. Especially less so in our retelling maybe but um you know it's especially when she's quite a static character throughout she doesn't have much development if 
you know, that's just not the path to becoming your true self is to just stay the yeah. same. No. Sometimes I think we read um, older stories and just read them as darker than they're supposed to be. Mm. Like, I think it would be fair enough to read this story as just supposed to be she's grossed out because it's a frog and that's kind of funny because it's a harmless frog it's just supposed yeah. to be a harmless talking frog it's not meant to be threatening it's just a frog she doesn't like it it's slimy but then it turns into a prince so it's all fine yeah like if you wanted to have that menacing undertone make it a wolf yeah make it something that is physically dangerous like you say it being a frog it's you know yeah a little bit gross you'd have to wash the bed sheets yeah he's, he's just been in probably slightly gross water there's moss around yeah fine it's it doesn't have to be more of a threat than that it can just be a bit of fun we can just enjoy the magic of transformation without yeah, talking about having to become a real adult first. Yeah. The frog speaks in verse. Yeah. Apart from the first time you meet him, yeah. where he doesn't bother to. Yeah. Why? Isn't it much more interesting to have a cursed prince who, like, not only is he a frog, he is only allowed to speak in verse. It's a lot more charming. That's very <laughs> cute. I think that would be very funny. Yeah, he's... I wonder if it's, um... It's almost like he starts speaking in verse as soon mm -hmm. as the curse, sort of the events of the curse becoming undone start to fall into play. He says, it, like, if you promise to do my bidding for a whole night I'll tell you how to fill your sieve she agrees and then he's speaking in verse mm -hmm. but I'm sure it's not beyond the capability of some wordsmith to recycle the my hinny my heart yeah uh, framing to say if you'll do my bidding and honestly I think people would be more likely to agree if he's a frog that sings in verse or they'd be like very impressive obviously something's going on here that not many frogs can sing i think that's what the oatcake mum says um yes yeah she, <laughs> she does. says hey not many frogs can sing let him in yeah she says, open the door give him some food he's clearly a cool frog he sings talented 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 young little master he does need to calm down a bit because he's just <laughs> decided after they've made this bargain that she's his true love <laughs> Uh, a common thing that a man in a fairy tale does. He must um, have just been like, oh, well, what a kind girl. I guess I'm in love with her now. That leaves me even more questions, though, for the one where the mother wants to bake some cakes mm -hmm. and already knows that water's good. Is this frog just asking everybody and she's the first person that says yes? Yeah. No one else who's trudging up all this way has... Any kind of risk-taking impulse? No, I guess no one else has thought this water is worth obeying everything a frog does. It kind of speaks to her immaturity at this point in the story because in these cases where her mother is not going to literally die if she doesn't do this, <laughs> she's just like, oh, like I literally can't come back if I don't do this. <laughs> oh my god. My mum just wants to bake oat cakes and she's going to disown me if I like, don't bring her water, even though in that version her mum clearly likes her. <laughs> yeah, it's like, your mum is really nice. <laughs> I'm sure that it's like a, the water from the well at the end of the world would be the cherry on the top, not a prerequisite for a good oat cake. Mm -hmm. One other thing I, I have some notes on 
is that I haven't seen any variant in which the frog explains why he got cursed. You know, we have an evil magician did it. That's yeah. about as far as that goes. I like to tell myself it's the old woman that we meet on our way. Oh. <laughs> that cursed the frog. Very nice. I mean, why does she know where the well is? The well where the frog is. <laughs> why does she? Um, yeah, that's like very in the beginning of Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like that. That ties it full circle. Um but yeah don't know why she would do this I mean if she both I mean this is a stretch we have no evidence it's her but if she (laughs) both cursed the frog and gave the girl directions my only conclusion is that she just did this for a bit of a laugh well we don't know how long the frog has been cursed yeah presumably not too long because his king his dad is still the king yes and he's still young if if aging still applies to him he's still young when he um, untransforms. Frogs have a short lifespan as well. <laughs> yeah. So he he might have... Yeah. Um, he might Maybe. really have been there very little time at all. You know. A few months at most. That's a pretty minor curse, to be completely yeah. honest. You know, I'm gonna... I'm gonna have a little, a little theory, which is just not based in any <laughs> facts. Um, I think the old woman has seen how the stepmother mistreats the girl and orchestrated this entire thing. (gasps) Matchmaker witch. Ooh. I like it. That does only work for this Lowlands version. (laughs) Only this version. Um, But, you know, maybe we could say she's still a matchmaker in the Highlands version. She's just like, whatever nice girl will uh, come and get some healing water. I'm going to let her have a prince too. She's going to get a nice husband. Maybe she's trying to fix the entire country by making political alliances. And in the case when it's a princess and in the case when it's not a princess, she's like, we need a normal person (laughs) to speak to the royals because it's not working for me personally. We need to have this class revolution and we need to have top-down and bottom-up strategies. Mm. I like it. I think this, um, the genders of the two, the two people in this, um, the two, I don't know what to call them. I don't want to call the old woman a magic user because she's not, she's an old woman, but she's also an archetype in herself. Um, mm-hmm. but mental, I guess, yeah. Um, I guess what I like about it is the, um, like I think the kind of archetypes that are usually like we usually see um, is the wise old man and mm. the evil witch and I think I can't remember but I know that the wise old man is definitely mentioned in Jungian archetypes mm-hmm. can't remember about the witch um, but I just think the this story kind of proves with those two little details that the gender of that archetype doesn't actually matter because it's a wise old woman who shows the way and it's an evil magician that did the curse mm-hmm. and it just is what it is they're archetypes but it doesn't really matter the gender that they are yeah they're fairly loose and i feel like in a lot of the bits of scottish folklore we've covered it is a wise old woman yeah rather than a wise old man yeah which i think if we want to get like really um into like the grand scheme of myth and folktale in scotland we have the kellyach stories that we're building everything off of mm-hmm. elsewhere we have odin that we're building everywhere off of. so we get a wise old man as a kind of echo of odin and here we have wise old women as kind of echoes mm-hmm. of the Kellyach. It would make sense if that is the figure that's existing in the popular consciousness. But I think, like you say, in a way, the the gender is slightly less important because it's just about that representation of elder knowledge yeah. with a hint of magical, supernatural ability.
guess the final, just like the thing with this story that we've touched on a bunch of times and I just want to give us a chance to think about it, <laughs> is it's a story about transformation, but like haven't quite concretely worked out what is supposed to be happening. Maybe we have no further thoughts, but it's just bugging me. (laughs) In other versions, you have the water is healing the mother, which is one type of a transformation. You could argue that the girl is being transformed from a girl to a woman. And we get a reversion to normality Mm -hmm. from a man that was a frog and is now back to being a man again yeah do we want to try and argue for example that the frog has also undergone healing by coming back to being a man um this is the thing is there's a lot that could be more interesting about this story and Mm -hmm. a lot that we could look into but at the end of the day it's just not there in the story yeah it's and it feels like it feels like the girl ought to have more of a transformation beyond um girl to woman girl to wife Mm. um it's a bit trite isn't it yeah (laughs) and it seems like maybe we're trying to say something like she didn't want to obey the frog and her stepmother made her and she didn't want to have the frog in her bed and she needs to be less opinionated and etc etc so that she can become a fully realized woman and a wife obviously I hate that (laughs) so (laughs) I would like there to be something more there, but given, I just, I kind of think that's it. That's all there is. It's not complex enough to give us much more. Yeah, it doesn't, it kind of feels like the tale is too short and has maybe lost some things that were interesting. Because if it's about transformation, then surely what we really care about is the journey that the two central characters go on, Mm -hmm. what they learn, how they change on the inside and the physical transforming is just meant to uh, represent something much bigger going on. Yeah, it's supposed to be an easy physical symbol. But there's there's just not the clues there for us to pick up on and I guess now it's just a story about a little frog and be nice to little frogs and you might get to be a princess (laughs) (laughs) and you know worst comes to worst you'll be able to use that axe that you've always wondered if you could chop something with (laughs) I can see how in the more traditional princess and the frog where she has to kiss it Mm. she does have to overcome her revulsion for it and that is kind of that is a form of growth for her but in this one she just is fueled by her revulsion (laughs) (laughs) yeah and I find it interesting that you have such a huge difference at the end Um, I read this very interesting analysis that suggested that the idea of the frog changing as she kisses it only came in around the early 1900s to try and essentially de-eroticize it Hmm. uh, so that the frog didn't have to sleep in her bed Mm. but you still got the implied romantic love um, breaking the curse and saving the man Uh, which is fair enough only also she's perfectly within her rights to not want to kiss a frog Yeah, and I just think it's maybe negative growth um (laughs) like i don't think that if one of your friends refused to kiss a frog you would then 
decide that they were a morally corrupt person. <laughs> morally corrupt and immature and just a plague on society. <laughs> Some like someone who needs to be fixed and learn to be less superficial. No, yeah, frogs might have germs on them. Frogs might have germs. I did read actually a very interesting comparative comparative analysis between a German, a Korean and a Chinese version of the frog prince. And one of the suggestions was that he wasn't even a frog at all. He was just a poor person. <laughs> um, and the frog is representative of squalor uh, mm. in poverty. Um, and it was talking about how particularly the Chinese and the Korean versions emphasize that she is a princess or a member of the nobility. Yeah. Um, and the frog is actually, in the Chinese one, fisherman's wife gives birth but she gives birth to a frog okay. which mm. I like we don't have time or energy to get into that but horrendous yeah. can you imagine that happening to you a yeah. nightmare um, <laughs> but it helped to ground that analysis of the idea that you know it's maybe not a bad read yeah. to think that he's a poor man um, yeah, and I can see that in then marrying up, he literally is transformed into exactly. a prince. But it does surprise me that he gets to marry up instead of her losing everything that she has. It's usually a, a big problem in the Korean and the Chinese ones, and he also then has supernatural powers and like helps defeat an army. Um <laughs> Like, he has to do considerably more work mm. to be able to marry her in those versions, um, which I thought mm. was fascinating and yeah. very different to what we had here. But, um, yeah, yeah, it just just came to mind. Yeah. In that case, like, if that is the reading, in that case, yeah, you probably are mor morally corrupt if you don't want to kiss a poor person. <laughs> Simply because they're a poor person. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. That reading allows for a little bit more growth um, on her behalf. But also, if she doesn't know much about him, the reasoning needs to be that she doesn't know him, not that yeah. she won't kiss him because he's poor. <laughs> yeah. um, but that maybe was a, a more culturally acceptable way for her to express distaste in that version of the tale. Yeah, maybe. So, I don't know. It's just... I'm not really sure where we can go with this, especially because in our version he explicitly becomes a prince. Yeah, you know, and it's... she's... And he's his father is the king. His father's the king. And yeah. she's um, in, in two out of three of the variants we mentioned, she's an ordinary common person yeah it's kind of clearly not relevant to very specifically to mm. the one that we've talked through today but it just is maybe an interesting side note for how much the same basic tropes can have very different context behind them that really change the flavor of the story yeah The Folklore Scotland podcast is brought to you by Folklore Scotland, the charity that tells the tales of the past with the technology of today. You can visit our website at folklorescotland.com. If you're keen to become a voluntary contributor or would like to get in touch, send us an email at info at folklorescotland.com. You can also find all of our social media links and a complete list of sources for today's topics in the show notes. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.